Hello and welcome to another episode of the Ocean Pancake Podcast. Today I have advocate, storyteller, and ocean rebel Tiffany Duong here with me today. She has changed from her renewable energy lawyer background to becoming an ocean warrior. So she shares her journey of working in the Amazon, coral reef restoration, and making some big impacts on helping our oceans from helping pass legislature to get rid of drift nets in California and some protected swimways between Ecuador and Costa Rica. We have a great chat where she shares her journey, where she shares how she got into it, tips and tricks on how to get involved in the field of conservation and sustainability, and how important it is to keep the voices of climate change and ocean change together because our earth is one and we need to work to protect it. I had a great time chatting with Tiffany and I'm sure you guys will learn so much from her just like I did. And hopefully she will inspire you to get out there and make a change no matter what age you are, no matter what career you have, because our oceans need you right now. Before we get into this episode, it would mean the world to me if you could leave a review on any of the podcast playing apps that you are using. And of course, if you want to help me continue the work I'm doing, you can become a patron uh, or yeah, get yourself a plastic is the killer t-shirt. All this is available on www.oceanpancake.com. And yeah, if there's anyone you'd like me to chat to or hear from, send me an email because I would love to get more ocean warriors onto this podcast to help inspire you guys to make a change and help protect our oceans. Every day, there's a new news story about the crisis facing our ocean, whether it's the plastic issue, overfishing, pollution. If the oceans die, we die. Fortunately, we have plenty of environmental activists, marine conservationists, and eco-warriors who are out there every day fighting to protect our oceans and our Earth. On the Ocean Pancake podcast, we're going to be hearing from some of them about how to decrease our environmental footprint, go plastic free, participate in ocean conservation, cleanups, and even maybe some marine science. So, welcome to the Ocean Pancake Podcast, where the goal is sustainability and living a turquoise life. My name is Kat Andreskova, and I'm your host today. Let's get into this week's episode. another episode of the Ocean Pancake Podcast. Today I have Tiffany Duong with me who is an advocate, storyteller, and ocean rebel. So welcome to the episode, Tiffany. Thank you so much for having me, Kat. I'm really excited to be here. Well, since you're a storyteller, I think a podcast is a good place for you to be. (laughs) (laughs) That's perfect. So could you kind of start off this episode by telling us a little bit about your story and how you came to get involved in ocean conservation. Absolutely. Um, So I've always had an affinity for water. It's always made me feel whole and safe and insignificant because I'm part of something bigger in a very reaffirming way. Um, But I didn't become obsessed with the ocean and saving it until my first scuba diving liveaboard trip (laughs) to the Galapagos. I was a renewable energy lawyer and I worked a lot and played hard and diving was one of the things I had picked up to 
you know, just make life a little bit more fun when I wasn't working. And then I went to the Galapagos and it was the first time I had really seen like a wild ocean and been really far away from a city and just felt what a pristine, like hope spot, like Sylvia Earl says, looked like and felt like. And I lost it. I was crying on the bow of the boat and just feeling all the emotions. And after that, I just knew that I had to shift my entire life to try to save our oceans because they were so precious. Oh, wow. I cannot imagine my first diving experience being in the Galapagos because that is, you know, the pinnacle. That is where I've always wanted to go and I've been like (laughs) working towards and for you to start there. Oh my goodness. Well, it was my first not, sorry. It was my first non-US dive. Otherwise, it was like certification dives, but it was my first like legit, like out there dive. So what was the coolest thing you actually got to see uh, in the Galapagos? It wasn't so much something I saw. We we rode like a three knot current and it was mm-hmm. my first current dive ever. And I remember I was like so terrified to like let go and just like ride it. And then when I was in it, I felt like the only image I had in my head was the turtles in Nemo that are riding <laughs> and being like, Woo! and I was like, oh my God, it's real. And I'm yeah. in it. Yeah. So good, dude. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That would have been definitely something. Did you get to see the iguanas? The, the I did. Ones? Wow. So rad. Um, we saw a bunch of them on Darwin's Arch, like swimming out towards our pranga as the sun was setting. So it was pretty like magical. And how long ago was this? This was 2015. 2015. Okay. And since then, what have you kind of continued doing? now that you kind of realize that you had to protect the oceans. I kind of had that moment as well a few years ago where I was like, I just, it's too beautiful. Like we need to do something. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So that completely changed my whole life. I went back and I quit my job and then I moved to to Rio and then the Amazon um, because I also love rainforests. They were Mm -hmm. my first love. And so I spent some time in a biodiversity camp there just protecting virgin rainforests from loggers and miners and helping with research there. Then when I came back to the US, I was like, okay, the oceans have waited long enough to like, it's time to get in it and start making some changes. So I joined a nonprofit um, near San Francisco in California that works on um, a lot of advocacy and ocean policies. And that's where I got involved in the fight against the California swordfish drift net fishery. And uh, we actually were able to get legislation passed that would phase out that really harmful fishery, um, which they've been trying to do for the last 40 years. So it was pretty awesome to be there at the end when, you know, we actually were able to talk with fishermen, talk with legislature about why this fishing method has to go and be replaced with something that's more sustainable for the whole ocean. So what was the fishing method? So a drift net is basically, they call them walls of death. They are invisible fishing line that hangs vertical and they can be a mile, 
um, or more long. Sorry, I, <laughs> I'm totally a terrible US person and I can't convert to metric. But, <laughs> it's okay, you know, I can't convert either. I think a mile is like 1.4 kilometers. I'm yeah, sure so the audience will let us know. Long, <laughs> and it can be like 300 feet tall and mm -hmm. they hang at the surface and they float with buoys and the boats can put them out overnight. So just imagine anything that's at the surface trying to eat or breathe or move just across the water is gonna run into this invisible wall of fishing line and get caught. Yeah. And so, you know, trying to catch swordfish, they were catching also endangered sea turtles and whales, sharks, seabirds, a ton of seabirds. Um, just anything that might be swimming there. It was a very indiscriminate fishing method. And Oceana actually found a discard rate for that fishery of 63%. Oh, wow. that means, yeah, that means for every like 10 animals they caught, 6.3 were just thrown back into the ocean and wasted. And that's just a huge waste of life and of ocean resources and things that we can't get back. So we worked really hard to get that um, successfully phased out um, in California, which was the last state to have this fishery, which is awesome. Um, and then I also helped with a shark tagging expedition in Cocos Island, which the goal of which was to create a protected swimway between Cocos Island in Costa Rica and the Galapagos in Ecuador. Um, basically, you've got endangered whale sharks and hammerheads and sea turtles that go in between those two island chains along the Cocos Ridge. And while they're protected at the two island groups, fishermen line up right in between and often will catch these, you know, animals as they're going between their feeding ground and their mating ground. Mm -hmm. And so what we were trying to do by tagging sharks and turtles was to prove that it's the exact same individuals going between the islands and therefore talk to the governments of Ecuador and Costa Rica to get them to agree together to protect that entire swimway. Was that successful? It's still in the talks. So unfortunately, when Costa Rica was looking like they were into it, Ecuador would get a new president that was less so, and then it would switch. Um, but what we're basically trying to do is build a bilateral um, marine protected area with just the two countries together mm -hmm. because their two economic zones touch versus um, like trying to go to the UN and get a treaty passed would take decades and it would be really impossible. Yeah, unfortunately, all these like to pass any legislature it just takes so long. Um, yeah, it doesn't even have to be the one. Like a city government can take forever. Yeah, and and the trouble with the oceans is it's really important that we do things now because mm -hmm. we're seeing the differences, and I think that's that's why I started um, the work I do. It's because of the diving I did between two thousand eight. And then just two years later, 2010, I saw the, like, the degradation of the coral reefs. That was just uh, astonishing. And it, it broke my heart. And I was, I was 14 and 16 at the time. And I was like, wow, if this is what happened in two years, 
of my very short diving career. I cannot imagine what, you know, our predecessors had seen, like what Jeff Cousteau had seen when he first started diving versus yeah. now. So <laughs> these are, this is amazing though. So the, the drift nets that they're gone from California and now hopefully this passage that will be protected. I wanted mm -hmm. to ask you a bit more about the drift nets. So you said California is the last state in the U.S., but are drift nets something, um, well, these walls of death, which is quite common all over the world? So it's actually, it's it, worldwide we're doing okay. Like the U.N. has banned them, Russia has banned them, Mexico. Um, there are still some countries that mm -hmm. use them. And there's a lot of illegal fisheries that still use them. Yeah. But, um, it's not as widespread as it used to be, which is awesome. That's great. Well, we're moving in the right direction, which is always <laughs> good to know. <laughs> so after doing the shark tagging, what was your kind of next, next step? <laughs> so then, um, actually on Instagram, I saw a call for... Uh, coral restoration interns and um, I decided to apply and I got it so I moved to the Florida Keys to be an intern again and mind you I was like 35 at the time. It's never 34. too late. <laughs> it's, it's never too late and the oceans need you at every moment of your life. So I moved there here to um, the Florida Keys to do coral restoration, um, scientific diving. So we like grew endangered staghorn and elkhorn corals and outplanted them back onto the Florida reef track, helped monitor um, their health and just kind of become reef advocates for the local South Florida community. Oh, that's great. We actually had another um, guest from who worked at coral restoration in Florida as well as reef restoration on the Great Barrier Reef, uh, um, Hannah Kish. Yeah, do you know her by any chance? I don't know her, but that's really cool. I love yeah. that. Uh, so she actually, you guys should check it out. Um, there is a podcast episode where we talk about how electricity actually can potentially improve the rates of growth for coral, but that episode is all about coral. So if you guys are interested in coral restoration, should definitely head over there and check that out. Are you still now in the Florida Keys working with the coral? So I am still in the Keys. I no longer am with CRF, but I um, do climate and ocean outreach through a variety of different um, avenues. I've taught courses at the University of Miami Osher Lifelong Learning Institute on kind of the impact of climate and the way that I taught the class was to have a heavy ocean focus because I think that climate advocates and ocean advocates need to be speaking the same language and we often don't mm -hmm. and what's happening with the climate is going to have the biggest effect on our ocean's health, you know, through rising sea level, rising sea temperatures, ocean acidification, all of that is going to really challenge all the things that we love. 
And so I think oceans and climate need to be in the conversation together because oceans are also helping the climate by taking up so much carbon. Yeah. So my course is to try to emphasize that focus and to also just open up the eyes of these people who most of them weren't divers and weren't ocean obsessed mermaids <laughs> like me. So to just kind of give them a window into this blue world and see why it's so important and why I love it. Yeah, no, I find always the easiest way to get people interested is to learn more about it, to get out there and to share your passion because then, you know, their, their ears perk up and they get more involved and more likely to make changes in their own lives. So it's great. Yeah, we showed a video of a coral polyp um, eating like a, oh, wow. a close macro and you should have seen the classroom. They were just like, play it again. That's <laughs> what are you talking about? And we're like, well, this is like sped up and all that, but they were just like astounded. And I, I loved seeing that in their faces. Cause then when you talk about microplastics and corals taking that up, they're not going to forget what they saw. Yeah. They're not going to forget that little, that little mouth grabbing the food. Exactly. <laughs> I love them. Um, when, when I dive, sometimes when I don't have students or anything like that, I'll just sit next to coral and just stare at it for like <laughs> minutes on end. And um, people think it's really strange. <laughs> but like once you dive a lot, I find that you like almost go back to the basics and start enjoying like the smaller things. Like I love just staring at one little spot of reef and just watching the relationships between the different fish there and the coral and where they like to hide and which fish interact with the other fish. And it's this and whole world there, you know? It's a much better way to kind of really get involved, I think, is when you do get underwater and you do become a bit of a mermaid. <laughs> um, yeah. Because you see the value of it and the communities that are built down there and it becomes a lot less foreign. Yeah. Because you actually get that. No, I totally agree. I think before you dive or snorkel, you look at water as like the surface, like, you know, at most like, oh, it's really pretty to see the sunset over the ocean, you know, or like, oh, you go boating on top and it's pleasant because of the wind and everything and the spray. But then like once you dive and you get into it, you just, you see the water almost as like a living being and all of the life that's interacting with it and with each other and with you. And then like, you can't dump stuff in the ocean anymore and think that it disappears because you realize it doesn't because you see it sink down. You see the toxic effect. But you see the, the thing, the, I, I like that comment you made and you and I know that it doesn't disappear. And a lot of the people listening to this doesn't disappear, but I think it's also really important thing to kind of make people aware of is that we are blessed with the education we have received and many places in the world have not received that education. Uh, when I worked in Comoros in Africa, I was speaking to the locals there and you know the first time they ever saw a plastic bag was 2007. The first time they had electricity on the island was 2010. So they have no concept of what plastic is or what the impacts are or what biodegradable is and isn't because until their first introduction to plastic, which was a decade ago, everything they threw out would just go away. Um, 
and <laughs> these would be like cleanups we did and you would pass them the trash for example this would happen in Cambodia as well you'd pass the people on the boat the trash that you've picked up in the ocean and they'll just throw it overboard on the other side of the boat because they consider <laughs> the ocean the bin yeah. <laughs> oh my god yeah I just I think it's so important to also to take a moment and to really focus on the education aspect of all these things and <laughs> so it's great that you're doing these courses um, about climate change we need to keep the conversation going rather than a lot of blaming I feel like there's a lot of blaming towards the lesser developed countries um, I agree it's it's a much bigger issue I think yeah I wanted to ask you how did you kind of get over that fear or that uncertainty of going from, you know, your real job as people would consider it, you know, renewable energy lawyer, wow, to then kind of starting afresh, becoming an intern, volunteering, like how did you do that transition? Or was it scary? How, like how did you prepare yourself for it financially and emotionally and all that? Yeah, it, I had every possible emotion you could have. I'm pretty <laughs> And whatever I had, I'm sure my mom felt double. <laughs> she was just like, my child's lost forever. Um, I knew from pretty early on that I, that law wasn't for me. So I had been saving um, to take time off. And um, I also drastically changed my lifestyle when I decided to really quit and, and travel and intern and just try a bunch of different things. So I sold my house, sold a lot of my stuff and used that to help um, fund myself also. And, um, and then I asked people in my family for loans. Like I did whatever it took to make an opportunity for myself to explore because I knew I really needed the space and the time to first heal from just being burnt out. And secondly, to to test myself with a bunch of inputs. So the Amazon was a test of field work to see how much I like being in the field. Mm -hmm. And if I like it better than being at a desk, and I do. And I decided to do the coral restoration internship to see if I wanted to do ocean field work all the time. And um, I really love it. And while I was in um, my various different roles, I would also take on additional like duties that I didn't have to do, but that I wanted to test out the skill sets. So I tried um, a lot of education and outreach at um, CRF. And I tried a bunch of kind of environmental communications and media strategies with um, my previous nonprofit, Turtle Island. And through those experiences, I came to learn that I really love telling the stories of wild places and of people that protect them. And that has basically like in a very swirly and not planned out way led me to where I am now, where I, I write for the local paper and I help formulate kind of the environmental voice down here. And the Keys is really like one of those ground zeros for coral reefs and ecosystems, especially for the U.S. It's the only coral reef um, in the continental. And it's such a privilege to be able to like write the stories and help people understand 
what's going on and to help make them care, you know? So I've just found this little niche where I get to dive to tell stories about the ocean. And I just think it's the coolest thing ever. No, that sounds absolutely beautiful and very brave as well. Um, I know a lot of people kind of struggle with potentially leaving their, their day job or their, you know, what people consider to be the, the typical option in life and kind of following a bit more of a scarier and uncertain path. And I do get a lot of questions about um, how to formulate their CV or like how to deal with not having skills or experience. Could you share some uh, kind of inputs on that, how people can get into the field? Because you clearly, you know, weren't a marine biologist or you didn't have that background, but you still clearly have done a lot of work, uh, amazing work to help our oceans. Kind of what did you do in terms of that? Yeah. Um, So live a blue life or to help the oceans. I think um, that's something that people get caught up in. But for me, as in any job, and one of your past podcasts actually mentioned this was which I thought was so great, like invest in yourself, right? So that's what these internships were for me. It was my chance to grow that skill set and also to give myself the input of, do you like field work? Do you like diving every day? Yeah. Do, you, do you like that? And I would say like, take the time to do that. And there are internships that have stipends or you know, you can get a scholarship or you save up and you scrap it by being a barista until you have enough to do it. And that works too, but it's never going to be easy. And it, it's probably harder than just taking a normal corporate route, but I've found it to be so worth it. Like I wake up every day excited and happy and like feeling like I'm fulfilling my purpose, which I never had before. That's definitely a good way to wake up in the mornings. (laughs) Not bad at all. And for other people who might want to get involved in some of the work you do, or if they think they have stories to share, or um, because you did start your Ocean Rebels. So can you tell us a bit more about the Ocean Rebels part of your journey? Sure. It's still in flux, but it's basically the platform that I use to convey all the things that I think are important for the ocean. It's how I hope to bring people together and to connect them to each other and also to our ocean and um, all the people trying to save it. So if anybody knows of a great like ocean rebel who should have their story told, like please reach out to us. Or if you want to get involved with some of our partner campaigns, we always are connected to a lot of different things going on and we would love to help funnel you to a cause that really resonates with you. Some people will definitely be hitting you up for that. Um, If you guys want to get involved with Ocean Rebels or any of the other stuff we've mentioned, of course, all the details are going to be in the show notes on the website, oceanpancake.com. So just go over there and you can grab all the relevant information. Um, Tiffany, I really appreciate you coming to join me today. And before we finish off this episode, I'm going to ask you the question I ask everyone, which is, what is the one piece of advice? Sophie, stop it, please. 
the one question I ask everyone before they leave, and what is the one piece of advice you'd give people, ocean warriors and people who love our oceans, um, to do in their everyday life to help our ocean? I would say don't give up. No matter how dire it gets now going forwards, don't, don't burn out and don't give up. If you're feeling hopeless, take a moment, go somewhere and remind yourself why you love the ocean so much, why it's worth fighting for, and then get back in there and continue to help people see it too. Thank you so much. That's very inspiring. And of course, there's so many people out there who are in the same boat as us. <laughs> so there's always like-minded people who you know sometimes get tired or demotivated but there's ways to you know stay stay positive and yeah engaged engaged and making the change so thank you so much tiffany i really appreciated uh, you taking the time thank you Once again, thank you, Tiffany, so much for being with me here today. I really appreciate it. I'm sure the audience, you guys have learned so much and hopefully got inspired to make that change. And remember, do not give up because we're in this together and our oceans need us. And it's truly one of the most beautiful parts of this big blue earth. So yeah, if you guys do want to find out more about her and the work she's doing, make sure to check out Ocean Rebels. And if you have amazing stories and want to nominate an Ocean Rebel, send that through to her. I'm sure I'll have Tiffany back on the Ocean Pancake podcast in the upcoming months where she could share a bit more about continuation of her journey and maybe give us a little sneak peek into the climate course that she does at university. So thank you guys so much for listening. Stay curious, stay blue, and yeah. Thank you so much once again to Graham Mose, who is the mind behind the fantastic little music beats. He is from Brisbane, Australia, so if you are there, you should definitely try and check him out live. But otherwise, thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you guys in the next episode. Oh, also, if you've ever heard dogs in my podcasts, that is because the two puppies I live with, they just do not leave me alone when I'm recording, so my apologies. But, you know, dogs are great, so <laughs> see you guys next time. <laughs>